Welcome to episode eight of the Racing Insiders podcast. I am your host, Kate Dillon, and this week we are talking to my friend, I like to call him the international man of mystery, Ken Anderson, because he has been involved in so many parts of racing. I mean, seriously, he started Penske Shocks with uh, Roger Penske. He's been part of Formula One, IndyCar. He is involved in the land speed record in NASCAR, building a wind tunnel. And now he's a manufacturer of the very popular race fan, that's used in dirt track racing. So I am really excited to bring you this interview. So we'll go ahead and get started on the other side of the intro. Race fans, it's Wesley Outland of Fox Sports. You're listening to Racing Insiders Podcast, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes to tell the stories of the people behind the brands in motorsports, because everyone has a story. Here's your host, founder of CrateInsider.com, Ecom coach, winning motorsports marketing, and marketing video guru, known as the girl who sells race car parts, Kate Dillon. Hey, everybody. I am here today with Ken Anderson from RaceFan. And, and I have to tell you, I'm really excited to talk with Ken today because he and I have been doing business together for several years now, and yet we've never met in person. So this is the first time we've sat across from the table one from one another. But uh, so I'm going to tell you, ask Ken. Um, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And uh, what would be one thing that most people don't know about you? Oh, my goodness. Uh that's a great yeah. question. Yeah, I apologize. I, I kind of sprung that one on you. Well, I'm pretty private, so there's a lot of things people. <laughs> well, what's one thing that people don't know about you that you would maybe be okay with them knowing yeah. about you? Um, I'm kind of, I don't know. I think the biggest, I'm kind of like the Forrest Gump of, of racing. I've been so many different places, so many different types of racing. It's been really, really interesting, yeah. Yeah, and I cannot wait for you to tell us all about it because you have been, I mean, it's amazing how many different series and all the racing you've been involved in. But, I mean, how did you even get started in racing at all? Well, I started racing motocross back in 1970, 71. Um, and there's a movie called On Any Sunday. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Though. No, it's, I haven't. It's the best movie ever or motorcycles and all and that just created the whole motorcycle industry and dirt bikes and stuff in the United States back then and um I went from racing motocross to uh, I grew up in Florida uh in 1979 I moved to California to work at uh Motocross Fox which was a company that made <coughs> shock absorbers for motocross bikes and had their own race team and I worked on the team uh went to work for Fox factory, um, designing shocks. And, uh, that we went from motocross to off-road cars and trucks to indie cars. And one thing led to another and that's what got me into indie cars. And being, being a Fox is probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I'd be at the Indy 500 one weekend and the Baja 500 the next weekend with sprint cars in there, stock cars, you know, all kinds of stuff. So that's what, kind of spurred me on to different different things well and you know getting started with fox yeah i think something that you and i were talking about was that shocks didn't used to have the respect back then that they have today right i mean back then like shocks on cars and stuff i mean they were nobody saw the performance that was available from a shock absorber um they were and in fact uh, like in indy cars for instance uh the uh monroe coney 
Gabriel, they, they were all just a streetcar shock that the, that the companies would give away. And uh, you, motocross really drove shock technology because, like, for instance, when, when I started racing, like rear suspension, we had maybe four inches of travel. And within a few years, it got to 12. And that would just smoke a shock absorber. So mm. that's where Fox came along. They were the first ones to come out with machine from billet, real racing parts like you're used to seeing now. The stuff up to them were stamped steel with little gas bags in them, crap, dual tube things. You know, they were horrible. Um, so Fox was the first one to have a billet racing shock absorber. Well, I love what you told me that shocks used to be like a promotional item. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, you want, you want a hat, jacket, shocks, what do you want? <laughs> so, uh, it was, uh, that cracked me up. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. yeah, you want a shock with that? Yeah. Would you like a shock with your koozie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and they, that was about how much they were worth back then, you know. So, wow. But yeah. the technology was so much different. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Wow. And then you decided to go from Fox. And t- tell me how you ended up being part of the start of Penske shocks. Um, I, when I was at Fox, we did off-road cars and trucks for like the Baja 1000 stuff. And one of, the, one of our drivers was Roger Weirs. He, I, I made the shocks for his, for his truck. He was like the factory Jeep truck back in the day. And uh, in 1982, he got a, an IndyCar ride because his brother was Rick Mears, who drove for Penske. And uh, the Monroe shocks on it were horrible. So he called me up and, it, like, he could go a thousand miles of Baja with Fox shocks and never change. He couldn't go three laps in an IndyCar with the shocks not going away. You know, so he called me up and I made some shocks for his IndyCar. That went well. And uh, he told Rick, hey, you got to try these. So I basically, Rick Mears tried them, loved them, and Penske won the 1982 IndyCar championship on Fox Shocks, so that was uh, that was good. But then Roger did a deal with Tenneco Monroe for the following year that didn't go so well. So in 1984, he uh, hired me away from Fox, and we to, to sort out the program and, and we whatever it took, and it took designing a shock from scratch, and uh, that was the beginning of Penske Shocks in 1984. And then then Roger the brilliance of roger is that we turned around and sold a thousand shocks a year to monroe to private label as monroe's <laughs> to give away <laughs> to to the indycar market uh and and the only customers we had the first few years was uh had a deal with we supplied monroe um we had a deal with williams formula one and uh that's how i got into formula one uh, and they traded my services for us using their wind tunnel in england and wow. uh, I did all the stuff for uh, the Porsche 962s and uh, all the IROC stuff. Oh, IROC. That takes me back. Yeah. well, and That's the, been a while. Because, see, that was when Roger owned the series. I didn't know. I, I just oh, didn't yeah. think about that. I didn't know. So. And the, the guy that, uh, the main guy that was uh, the main mechanic there was Ray Evernham. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, when they would go testing, because the thing about IROC is all cars were needed to be exactly the same and mm-hmm. you could dyno engines you could same tires and everything the same the thing that was hard was these crappy two dollar monroe shocks <laughs> and uh they had two on every corner just like stock cars did at the day mm-hmm. and when they would go testing they would take crates of shocks and just they had two drivers so they were in and out just changed the things trying to make them the same so i made penske shocks for them and bang they were just and then Ray, I taught Ray all about shock absorbers and all, which then he took to 
Jeff Gordon and <laughs> the rest is history there. But um, yeah, it was it was interesting. So it's just like one thing to another. Well, yeah, like and and it's just it really becomes a journey. Oh yeah, you know, like you're you're on a path, and then oh wow, look at that! Oh squirrel, and then you kind of follow the squirrel, and then mm-hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> you know just moving on down the path. But you know, how tell me more about the Formula One because I just I just been watching that Netflix series, and uh-huh. then made me all fascinated with it. So so I would love to hear more about that. What what you thought it was like? I thought it was great. I mean, I got into it. Uh, we started working with Williams in '85. I was actually there the first time in Brazil, the first test that Nigel Mansell did with mm. the first time he was in the car. Formula One's always been, well, certainly from the 70s on, every team has to design and build their own car. And that's um, quite a challenge. And back in the day, uh, before they tried to slow them down and save money and make them all the same, um, there was there was V8s, V10s, V12s. Uh, turbocharged, normally aspirated, no two cars are the same, Michelin tires, Goodyear tires, Pirelli tires. It was it was fantastic. Uh, we had, at the peak of the turbo days, these cars weighed 1,100 pounds. They had 1,500 horsepower in qualifying. Oh, my God. It was spe- wow. spectacular. And guys would, guys would lose 10 pounds during the race, sweating, and, <laughs> and you have to pick them out of the car pretty much, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It was really, really good. Well, and then, so, so tell me, what is, what is your opinion uh, on about how things have changed? <laughs> oh, how can I put this politely? <laughs> oh, you can say it however I, I, you would I, like. I, I, think, well, I, think, I think they were too concerned on slowing things down and making everything cheap. And, and they're faster than ever. The technology makes things fast. And uh, I think by restricting technology or restricting, not giving you the latitude to try different things, it, everybody has to go down the same road and it ends up being a lot more expensive. Like, you know, the first thing they did was ban testing because people are spending $5 million a year testing. Well, that saves you $5 million. No, it doesn't. You still got the $5 million. Now it costs you $10 million to, to have simulators and all the stuff that going testing for $5 million would have done, you know, much better. So. Well, and in a Formula One budget, $5 million is... Right. I mean, but the, and my argument is that the budgets are so high is because you couldn't go testing. I mean, when you're, when we were testing, you know, it wasn't that much money. Um, now every team has to have, you know, tens of millions of dollars worth of testing equipment, you know, to simulate stuff, it's computers, you know, simulations and hundreds of engineers to, to play with it where we used to just, take a car out and see what it did you know you know actually that you know makes me think i mean what would i do if uh we couldn't do any chassis dyno testing because of course a lot of my data comes from chassis dyno testing not that i do it but i mean i work with the guys over at hendron there and i mean otherwise how would i be able to tell my customers what's good products and not i'd have to hire multiple engineers to evaluate all the data and, uh, and then you go out and test it, and it didn't work like you thought it was going to work. And then you, then you spend more money figuring out why the right. <laughs> why or I can just match. or I can just exactly. kind of or I can screw some spark plugs into an engine and go, okay, yeah. 
here's our numbers there. Yeah. Take those out, throw in some new ones, and there's our numbers there. Oh, look exactly. at that. We can do it in an afternoon without a an team of engineers. I don't know, just one of those random thoughts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the podcast of random thoughts. No, but, you know, then you moved on. I mean, you've been in everything. You, tell me about the land speed record, because you were involved <laughs> in that, too. I got to hear about that story. Oh, I was at a uh, Formula One team in England. I lived in England for a while. The, I was at a Formula One team called Onyx. It folded in the middle of the year in 1990. Mm. And uh, Chip Ganassi reached out to me, and I went back to IndyCars, went to work for Chip. At the time Onyx shut down, we'll go back to IndyCars. This is 1990. The only IndyCars that were available were Marches and Lolas. And the, the, the problem is the people that were winning with them like Mario Andretti and, and Alan Sir Jr. and all that, they had like next year's parts, basically. They were kind of the works teams. So I set up a, a company in, in England with four of the um, fabricators that I had on the Formula One team and just to make special parts for Chip and the uh, IndyCar team. And in the meantime, we made other stuff. We made stuff for a lot of Formula One teams, McLaren and Williams and everything over in England. And uh, Richard Noble came along and wanted to break the sound barrier in a car, which had never done been done before. So uh, we got that. I, I didn't personally, that was the one project I didn't do any of the design work. I just started a company that, that, that built it, but it was there. And the thing was unbelievable. It was 54 feet long, weighed 14,000 pounds, had two Rolls-Royce jet engines in it. That's insane. Wow. And, and and then it broke the sound barrier. Yep, yep. And what year was that? Do you remember? It was uh, nine, uh, 96. Wow. 96. Wow. In Black Rock Desert, yeah. Yeah, that is, I mean, I, I'm just so impressed. And one, one of the scary things with that was they, they really didn't know. It was a lot like going back to Chuck Yeager back in the 40s. They, they, they know what happens when you break the sound barrier in the air, but when you're on the ground... That w- they were afraid of this was the sonic boom in front of it or the wake in front of the car would dig a hole and the car would disappear into that hole. So they actually gave them, like, whoever was going to drive it, they gave them a one in four chance of survival. Oh, my God. So um, they uh, they went, uh, the, the, the prerequisite for the, the, the driver was that he had to be like no living relatives and oh. uh, and huge balls. <laughs> so, so and it ended up being a, a Royal Air Force uh, jet pilot because wow. basically it was a jet without a without wings. Right. Um, so yeah. Well, and what did happen? I guess I didn't think about what would happen when you break the sound barrier on land. I really don't know. It it was pretty uneventful. What was interesting? There's a picture. Of it's called Thrust SSC. If you anyone wants to look it up, and and there was a, actually a um, not a hang glider, but a microlight uh, plane up above taking pictures of it uh, as it was going. And if you ever seen like a bow wave on a boat, which is like a V, yeah, when it went supersonic, that wave went straight perpendicular out, straight across. Of dust or uh, yeah, well, you can see that it stirred the dust up. It, yeah, it's just like boat going through the water, but it was straight across instead of like a V. And, and wow, and it's like the sonic boom just was, which was they were, they were afraid that that'd be so powerful that it would dig dig it up, and it, it didn't. But, uh, but wow, yeah. no, yeah. I mean that's 
That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, and the things you don't even think about. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, yeah. It's, uh, or or that you know that it's gonna sw- the earth is gonna swallow up the car. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Very different seems crazy, but yeah. Wow, that's yeah. wild. CrateInsider.com is your one source for crate racing tech and more. Whether you currently race with a crate engine or you are thinking about getting into the sport, their website has what you need. CrateInsider.com has tech videos, interviews with experts, and the best products in the industry. Dyno tested and proven so you know they are the best products for crate engines. Visit CrateInsider.com today to get on the fast track to victory lane. And then, of course, you've been in NASCAR a bunch, too. Oh, yeah. 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 Um... <laughs> uh, I mean, I got started in NASCAR back with uh, with IROC and all the, because all back then it was mostly NASCAR drivers that were uh, in in IROC. Um, but yeah, I didn't get I didn't get into it. Penske shocks. I, when I left Penske, Penske sold Penske shocks to Competition Tire, so he was out of it. But uh, um, I and Jeff Ryan, who has JRI shocks now, worked for me at Fox. And, oh, uh, he that came, guy's he brilliant. Came, oh, yeah, he's a great guy. We're still really good friends. Um, I mean, I, I knew him right out of high school. I mean, we both started at Fox in 1979. Wow. Like, like within a week of each other or something. But, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. And uh, But he ran Fancy Shocks for 20 years after I left. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's all connected. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a web. Let's just say it's like a web of, of all the people. I'll bet you have to have... Some favorite story out there. Would you have a favorite? Uh, I mean, there you probably have so many, but you've got to have one favorite story from racing. <laughs> um, I, I, probably the most interesting phase was when I was at, I was at Penske Racing for five years. Um, I was Rick Mears' race engineer. Um, I stood next to Roger Penske for five every race for five years, uh, calling the calling the race and stuff, and. Um, he is such he's fantastic guy i mean you'd learn so much from him um and you always try to make him happy you know like one day i missed a belt loop (laughs) and he pointed out to me and i was crushed (laughs) (laughs) well especially as an engineer right yeah yeah. and then but the the best one was he told me to do something it seemed a little strange but i did it and then he he came and says what'd you do that for i said you told me to do it he said well i know what i said but you know what i meant (laughs) (laughs) that's wow yeah yeah definitely he's a great guy great guy and then how what was it like living in england i loved it i lived in france for a while too france and then yeah it was good in england i can Uh, i can now call you the international man of mystery oh yeah yeah pretty much yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) no that's good i I, uh, the 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 best thing for me, like I said before, it was being a fox where I'd be at all these different types of racing stuff. And the thing you learn is that I don't care whether it's sprint cars, Formula One, midgets, NASCAR, whatever. The teams that are winning are doing something right. And you can learn from each of them. The other side of that is they all have blinders on. That's their, that's their universe. And they don't necessarily want to look out. Like when I came into Indy cars with shocks off a motocross bike, <laughs> they thought I was nuts. And, you know, within a year I had all the cars so yeah no i completely agree with you there i i agree i think that's been my biggest advantage in racing is coming in from a completely different perspective i mean just seeing it almost i don't want to say objectively but but not being in it right um that 
you can bring different ideas and new ideas right. into something and it kind of revitalizes it yeah. a little bit. So, it, truth, truth be known, I'm not that big a race fan. I like the technology and I like the challenge of making something better, faster, lighter, cheaper. More I was going to say cheaper. Do you want to make it cheaper? Yeah. <laughs> or ban it? Yeah. <laughs> no, tell me how much you feel about that. I mean, I know you've got a... Everybody in racing has some idea um, or has an opinion about specking stuff and whether it's good or bad or what's, what's your thoughts? Uh, I'm a capitalist and I think that the market will sort things out. I think when you try to engineer social engineering where you make lists of this is all you can do, it, it takes that away and, and it ends up, in my opinion, actually making it more expensive because you're not going to stop people from trying to make what they're the hand they're dealt better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, um, the, 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 the more they try to slow them down and the cheaper they are, they've it's gotten exponentially more expensive, which is exactly the opposite of what right. they were right. trying to do. I guess law of unintended consequences. Exactly. Well, I learned some things I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we got on the mics and, and you were talking to me about, uh, sometimes when you try to take old technology Mm-hmm. and keep it forever and innovate where it would maybe be better just kind of throw it out a little bit. and Oh, yeah. Um, tell me about that. Well, I mean, NASCAR is a classic example. I mean, uh, people don't realize it, but the, the current cup car was pretty much laid out in the mid-60s by Holman Moody. The chassis, the, the front suspensions off of like a Chevy Impala, of rear Ford truck rear end, um, separate coil, coil springs and shocks and uh the spindle on a the respect for nascar in the 60s and and is still basically the same part now is off a 1956 ford pickup truck (laughs) wow and um instead of going to junkyard and getting 56 ford pickup truck spindles they you know the aftermarket company started making them and now all, all the teams are making them out of billet you know 20 hours of machine and it probably cost ten fifteen thousand dollars each which is way more than a formula one upright would be you know if you just designed something right so wow yeah, yeah. and now do you see formula one what are your thoughts on what's going on with formula one today same thing they try to slow them down try to make them cheaper they're they're fighting for budget caps or fighting for uh they, they ban testing all these things you can't do just makes them spend even more money you mm-hmm. know and just defeats the purpose of yeah. what they're yeah. what they're trying to do. You're, you've got hundreds of engineers simulating things rather than a group of guys going test and trying it. You know. Yeah, and I think engineers are probably more expensive. Yeah, <laughs> especially a whole team of them. Yeah. Well, you know, you can do a lot of damage. Uh, well, <laughs> you, no, I mean that way. Just um, at the end of the day, it's simulation, and you still have to prove that the simulations work, and you still have to test. And the problem is now. You're testing on Friday morning at a race, and and if it didn't work, it's catastrophic, and you can't just well let's go Tuesday and figure out what's wrong. You know, you can't you don't run the car again until the next race, and so the onus then is to never make a mistake, and that just makes you have more in-house testing equipment, and it just it just snowballs. I think they're kidding themselves that it's cheaper. No, I think you're right. And yeah. then, and then, as an engineer, you're always going to be looking. You know, that's what your whole idea is creation. Oh, sure, sure. And I, I'm guessing that you have a preference to create 
kind of out of nowhere and just take a random idea and, and go with it rather than saying, here's the little box you have to stay in. I right. don't know. Which of those would you rather be in? Oh, no. Well, we talked earlier, like if you look at Indy cars from 1960, in Formula One was very similar. In 1960, an Indy car was a roadster with tall, skinny tires, often housed in uh, engine. And in 10 years, during the 1960s, they went from engines in the front, engines in the back. Like, wow, that was cool. And uh, turbine cars, uh, ground effects, wings, turbos. And by 1970, it was turbocharged. We had four-wheel drive for a while with wings and big, short, fat tires. And, uh, you know, if they had tried to slow them down and save money in 1960, they'd still be roadsters, you know. So where do you put the pin in the map? And then 70, 80 wasn't quite as huge jump, but it, but ground effects came in more. And, um, yeah, and then 80 and 90. To me, the pinnacle of racing was the mid-80s. Up to that time, the cars just got faster and faster and faster. That's when they started taking the big bites out of the apple to try to slow them down. And that's what made them more expensive and, you know, slower slower and cheaper became the rule rather than faster. Well, and how do you think that's affected the the viewership or the fan count? How do you... Do you, do you think those two are oh, connected? Abso- absolutely, yeah. I think I think when NASCAR, when they, especially when the car and Mara, the cars didn't look anything like any what people were driving. I, I believe in NASCAR, the whole you know race went on Sunday, sell on Monday kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that that really resonated with their base. I think they lost a lot when they went to the car tomorrow, and they're trying to get that back. But you know how many have they lost that'll never come back? They're doing something else now. I don't know. Well, I mean, and I do say that. In today's world, it's a it's what we're fighting for is attention. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's mean, so it, much out there. It's and so then, much noise. Like growing up in the '60s, um, there was just so much innovation in street cars and race cars. And and back back then, uh, Road and Track magazine was Road and Track. You know, and it, it, I just every month it just waited for the magazine to come, and because they always had cool cutaways. Uh, here's the new. STP turbine wedge, you know, four wheel drive, and it was fantastic, and they, and they really in depth um, articles about how things worked and why this new technology was great, and that's just gone now. It it is what it is, you know. So, yeah, that's sad. Uh, yeah, my dad actually has a. Oh, I should know what it is. It's a Thunderbolt, I think. The okay. Ford Thunderbolt uh-huh. is that right? Some, yeah, it's like right, yeah. anyway. It was like a car that you bought at the dealership. And it, but it's stripped down like it is a drag car. You yeah. know, you change out the tires and you go drag racing in it, yeah. or you put your street tires back on. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Now, I mean it's never going to make it to the drag strip since he just restored it. But oh, yeah. you know, but but I think you're right though. There's mm-hmm. if you if there's no connection there, um, it's it's less inspiring. I mean, oh yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, people. It's just like teams, you know. I mean, football teams are people. People want to identify with something. Mm-hmm. And when it's all all the same. Well, and and we didn't talk about this or even bring it up, but now there's so much of that street racing, like the mm-hmm. and and some of it's legal. I mean, I'm not talking about the necessarily the illegal ones, no, but yeah. where people are, you know, tune the tuners, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, drifting and all that. Yeah, because it's yeah. it's fun to watch. It's it's spectacular. I mean, they're hanging it out and every racing's become the cars have become so precise and they're all exactly the same. You mm-hmm. know, to to find a 
couple hundreds of a second is huge. Those guys are sideways all the time on purpose. You know, it's great. <laughs> it is. It, yeah. You know, and, and I love seeing that racing is going to, I don't care how racing, I mean, we're, whether it's in go-karts or Formula One or anywhere in between, you know, I think racing is exciting and finding that right market. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, we're, I'm involved in circle track. So of course mm-hmm. I always want to have, have, uh, you know, promoting that market. Sure. But you know, would you, what, what are your thoughts on what, what has, what's been the biggest shift? Do you think the price controls that that's maybe had the biggest impact or what do you think's had the biggest impact? It's hard to say. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, the, the problem was with incremental changes. It's uh, Warren Buff said, "Chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken." Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it, this it, all, all these series didn't wake up one morning. You know, let, let's change it, and it's all bad. It, it took the last thirty years to get here. Yeah, and I think we have social media, and we have yeah. a lot of we have. Netflix on demand and oh yeah you know how do we get the excitement I mean there's there's excitement for the people who know it but yeah. I don't know it's interesting yeah. I mean to me the most exciting racing now is uh, motocross and MotoGP I mean because it's so fun to watch it they're different they're banging each other and you know all car racing is just so they just it's a parade really that makes me sad, though, when it's a parade. I do have to say, I just, so I don't have cable. I do have mm-hmm. Netflix, but I don't have cable. And uh, when I go out and about, I make them turn on Mav TV because mm-hmm. I love to watch like those those little trucks and they were, were side by sides and they mm-hmm. jump over stuff and oh, yeah. Yeah. truck pulls and yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know just race anything. Yeah. Lawnmower races, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's got an engine, you know. Well, actually, you don't even need an engine really to to right. be racing. But anyway, I just I just think it's fun. And now, do you have a favorite NASCAR? story a personal story <laughs> whatever you want yeah just something interesting and fun uh, gosh did well, you have a favorite driver anytime during nascar uh ward, uh, i worked with ward button <laughs> <laughs> yes. he had one heck of an accent or has or has one heck of an accent he did yeah no he's good um yeah oh not really. I mean, I I got into I was heavily into NASCAR from 2003. I was the technical director at Haas before it was Stuart Haas. Okay. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, nothing comes to mind. It was it was awful. It, the, th- the thing with NASCAR is it just wears you out. Is every friggin' week, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, by the time you get back s- late Sunday night, early Monday morning, you turn around you gotta head out again wednesday and it's it's it, it's grueling but uh yeah and then uh yeah then when i was with with gene uh at haas um that's when we decided to build windshare so that was uh the, the that's the only full-size rolling road wind tunnel 180 mile an hour wind tunnel so oh wow so that was that was fun that was a fun project that's probably my favorite nascar story <laughs> building that so, no, that would be amazing because yeah. I've been to the A two wind tunnel. Uh-huh. That was that was fun to go to. But uh, you got to go to wind shear. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Them, I was in the little wind tunnel. So uh-huh. This wasn't the one where it's. Did you have all uh, the tilting table and all of that in there too? The it uh, it rotates. It doesn't tilt, but it, or what, it rotate, I, I knew it, rotate, it did yeah, something. Yeah. And it's got a stainless steel belt, but it's uh, but and it's one hundred eighty miles an hour. It's this got a five thousand power. 5,000 horsepower motor that drives it. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it's on the, it's beside the uh, runway at Concord airport. Oh, okay. 
Cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Cool. I'll have to see if I can get a tour because that would be. Yeah. Let me know. Pre- I'll get you in there. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, you know a guy. Yeah, I know somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it's always nice to know somebody who knows a guy for yeah. sure. But that gets back to like, I'm, I'm more interested in technology and c- come up with something different than just the. To me, the, the race, if you got all your stuff together, the race is more like a social event or, you know, the, you know it's just the, the sum of what you did. Yeah. So, the yeah. icing on the cake yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's the doing of what you do every day that makes all the difference. Now, what do you think about, you've probably seen in the innovation of all the different material innovations over the years. Mm-hmm. Oh, but what's that been like for you? Uh, it's great. I mean, I, I, I'm i a big believer in using the proper material for what it is you're trying to do. Like, not everything needs to be made out of carbon fiber or titanium or, you know. Um, but no, it's it's great. And it's all, you know, it's re- what people really don't understand is, as trick as Formula One is, 99.9% of the technology in Formula One is a trickle down of the United States aerospace industry. Really? Oh, yeah. Carbon fiber, the first carbon fiber mm-hmm. was uh, Union Carbide in 1956. A young engineer went work there. That was the first carbon fiber. And at the time in 1956, I believe it was 56, it would have been $5,000 a pound. <laughs> In five, 56 money, so that'd be $50,000 pound now. But, yeah. But, but, and well, at least it's the, a lightweight material. Is, yeah. Well, it's, it's super strong. <laughs> you get a lot of it yeah. for a pound. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, by not banning it, they, uh, they found uses for it. And now it's, you know, five, six bucks a pound. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. And titanium, well, like titanium, people don't realize titanium was pretty much completely useless until. Uh, the Skunk Works did the SR-71. You couldn't weld it. You couldn't machine it. You couldn't form it. They Because of that, that's the plane that goes like yeah. six times the speed of sound or whatever. Yeah. Uh, aluminum would have melted, would have become soft, and steel was too heavy. So they had to make titanium work. So the story of how they did that is phenomenal, you know? So, yeah. Well, how did they? I mean. They figured it out. There's a book called uh, The Skunk Works. Oh, Okay. It tells it's Kelly Johnson and the Skunk Works. And it was they had to figure it out. You know, wow. it's just like putting a man on the moon. You know, so many Teflon came from NASA. You know, well, and you gotta love because you were just mentioning about how like people stay in their bubble or they stay mm-hmm. inside oh, yeah. of their little bubble, and you gotta love that like the Formula One to get that from the aerospace oh, yeah. industry and always be kind of looking out for ooh where can we kind of grab some more technology from yeah. from yeah. and having well, wise eyes the first, wide open. The first carbon fiber chassis in Formula One was by a guy named John Barnard who learned about all this magic stuff because he worked for Parnelli Jones. He's a British engineer, but he worked for Parne- uh, Vels Parnelli in uh, Los Angeles in the early 70s. So he found all these cool companies and all that. And he wanted to do a, a chassis out of carbon fiber. And up till then, they were aluminum. Went to everybody in England and, oh, it can't be done, can't be done. So he came to uh, Hercules in Salt Lake City, Utah. Said, yeah, we'll do it. And that that changed changed the course of, oh, certainly, race cars other than NASCAR. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, everything's <laughs> carbon fiber now. I like that, other than NASCAR. Well, like, well yeah, they're, I mean, they're a tube frame. And, yeah. You know, it's, what's, that's the rules. Um but yeah. No. Well, oh, I do love carbon fiber drive shafts. 
Yeah. I, I think that's a great, oh, for sure. great use of those. I, I remember seeing a video, it was Formula One testing, where they've got it on a lathe kind of a oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that. You that's know, the guy I'm, from Top Gear. And, oh, and yeah. And it was, it was four or five times stronger than the steel one just crumpled. And, oh, yeah, it did. Yeah, and I, I, and I forget if we're, were they pulling it apart or pushing it together. I can't really they remember. They were twist, twisting it. Twisting it. Okay. And then they were spinning it. Or, or no, they were, yeah, they were just straight up twisting, twisting it. And, and the, the steel one yielded and just wrapped up like a, like a, the licorice stick <laughs> yeah. and, and the carbon fiber one like four or five times as much mm-hmm. and went bang just just yeah. shattered but that's the thing too is it shatters rather than you know like sprint lost sprint guy, guys got get hurt because they the steel ones would bang around once they did break so oh for sure they'll go spinning around like this this piece just this piece of metal that's spinning oh, yeah. around and guys yeah. getting arms yeah. Like coming through the cockpit and, and yeah. I mean, just gouging people like a bear. <laughs> it's like, yeah. A, yeah, something really, really bad. And these just, I yeah. guess, go shred like a broomstick, right? which is good for a carbon fiber drive shaft. Not, not so good for other things. Right. Uh, right. You know, you want lightweight. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about your innovation and why we work together. Cause of course you <laughs> invented the race fan. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Harold Holly's a good friend of mine. We worked together at Haas. He was a crew chief at Haas. And uh, he's he was running a um, dirt late model for Joey Coulter. And uh, everybody ran the GM fans from a 1967 Chevy van, I believe they were, the four-blade steel fans. And the world supply of those fans dried up. And he, he came to me and said, could, could you make one of these? And I go, well, yeah, I could. <laughs> but if I'm going to make if I'm going to make a fan, I'm not going to make it like that. Because that's just a stamped piece of steel riveted together, you know, nothing special. Mm-hmm. But it was never intended to be. It was not a performance part. <laughs> it wasn't meant yeah. to. That's not what it was made no, for. No, Um So, you know, I looked at it and because and, these guys are racing in uh, Florida in, in the winter when it's 40 degrees and they're racing in the Midwest in the summer when it's 100 degrees. And I want to be able to, I just want to come up with a system that you could, if you broke a blade, you could replace it. If you needed more, you put more on. If you needed less, you could take them off. So that's uh, that's how I came up with that. Well, and and you've got some pretty cool materials in that too, because you oh, it's yeah. made lightweight. So it's not for anybody who isn't familiar with the race fan. It has a billet aluminum hub and then interchangeable blades, and you can put up to you can go from two blades, three blades, four blades, or six, six. blades. Yep. And then you had to experiment around and really know your materials well, because I think there were some. Uh, you made some innovations over the course of time. By the time I started selling them, you were, you had really dialed it in. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, these things, some of these things go on 9,000 RPM, some of these engines, um, you know, especially when they, um, well, maybe not on purpose, but when, when they, <laughs> the, the wheel comes off the ground, they zing it. But uh, yeah, it's a brutal environment. It's a lot of revs and a lot of heat. So I had to come up with a material. It's a Zytel, it's glass filled Zytel, you know, a composite material, but it's got to be flexible and yeah. You know, it's a lot of times having something really strong, it becomes very brittle. So you got to have the right balance. Because uh, these things get rocks, you know, sling around and beat up pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah, and you want to cool, and you don't want them too flexible so that right. they end up getting into the radiator. Right. Because you want them as close to the radiator as possible without right. actually touching. <laughs> it's like almost the price is right, you yeah, know. Exactly, like, the, yeah, you get yeah. as close to the price as possible without going over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, if I'm t- random. If it touches back up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. it's, it's a bad deal. Yeah, you yeah. want to be close, but not quite that close. Yeah. Now, they've been an incredibly popular product for us. And, you know, I, 
I just think I love the innovation. Yeah. Because and it's nice. I mean, I think people, I mean, it's pricier than um, most, but it, in the long run, it's cheaper because you, you're not throwing the whole fan out if something goes wrong. You just replace the one blade or whatever. And, and people appreciate nice stuff. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, I think it's good value for what it is. Oh, I completely yeah. agree. Because, you know, that was when I first started talking with you. A very, a very first conversation was, Ken, I think, you're, I think this is really expensive. Are you nuts? This is way expensive. <laughs> and because um, we're talking, I mean, right now it's 2019. Your price hasn't changed, though. Your price no, hasn't gone no, up. No. Sort of about like 170 for a two-blade fan or about 265 for a four-blade. I think yeah. that's yeah. if I'm off the top mm-hmm. of my head. Right. Um, I sell enough of them. I should know the pricing. Yeah. But thank, anyway. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, but I was like. I mean, I have a fan in my store for like $52 or $55. And I'm like, now I've got a $170 fan. I'm like, nobody's going to like that. And they're going to tell me that all my products are expensive and they're going to hate me. And he's like, well, I mean, he's like, well, think about it this way. You have a two blade fan. You have a three blade fan. You have a four blade fan. You have a six blade fan. You can do any of those with this fan. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, four blade fan, you got like four, three or two. You're like getting three fans in one. So when I do the math on that, yeah, I mean, yeah. no, the versatility is huge. And, and like you said, I mean, if you chip one blade mm-hmm. or break one blade, you can just call me up and get, or, you know, go online and get one blade. Right. That's right. it. So yeah. now you've got something that's going to last for years. Yeah, and, the hub will last forever. Oh yeah. The hub's not going <laughs> I need to anywhere. make them a little more fragile. <laughs> you got to work on that. No, we need to make no. it more. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. No, I think it's a great innovation. I think it's good value. And that's a... That's what you got to shoot for. And, well, and, um, yeah, you know, it, um, well, I'll give you an example. The Fox Air Shock, when I went to Fox, mm-hmm. this is back when a, an entire motorcycle would be six, seven hundred dollars. A set of shocks was 300 bucks. Half the price. But they couldn't make them fast enough because they worked and they were a nice piece. Well, and, and that makes the difference. If it's some, if it's one less part that you have to worry about, mm-hmm. I think that's a big deal. And if there's performance in it, that, that's the one thing I like about racing is that it's tangible and you see see things on a stopwatch or a dyno or you know whatever it's uh yeah it's it's not, it's not all marketing you know hype it's 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 real yeah. right yeah. yeah it's not just fluff because i think we've got enough fluff in the world and it's nice to know that there's a winner and a loser and i mean when i was growing up i mean my age myself but you know there were winners and there are losers. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. There was no trophies for for just showing up. I don't. Although half of, uh, no, would you say no. that like eighty percent of life is just showing up? I swear. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that <laughs> works for me. Yeah, I keep showing up these places, and they keep hiring me. So. Well, yeah, and then showing yeah. up there means you get invited to somewhere else, yeah, and then yeah. you just show up. And well, I'm just interested in things. I like I like checking out things, and you know, yeah, yeah. Always have an open mind. Well, do you have any other new innovations on the on the horizon? Anything you can let us in on on the secret? Uh, the, uh, I'm looking your secret lab. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your lab. A few things going on. The, I mean, the one thing like pertaining to the fans, I'm probably going to start making our own line of spacers. Oh, mm, super trick, super light spacers, super expensive. <laughs> no, not, yeah, I know. I'll it, no, it'll, 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 it'll be more, a little more than those standard ones. But uh, because there's, I, I try to keep the parts to the fans to minimum, but there's a couple different hole patterns, and you know, and uh, people have been asking for spacers. You know, just take the next step. So, well, I can understand that because we do have some spacers that are more of a solid 
type yeah. of a material fan yeah. spacer. And then we've got some that are um, machined out, yeah. you know, so they're billet aluminum. I mean, they're beautiful mm-hmm. and they're machined out and there's quite a bit of difference in oh, weight. I mean, yeah. we're talking ounces, but ounces are the world when we're yeah. talking about racing. Absolutely. And especially when we're talking about rotating weight and I'm not yeah. an engineer, so I'm only that. Okay. We've gone to the length of my understanding at this point, but oh, yeah. so, so what can you tell us? What would be your lesson to layman about rotating weight? It's just, um, you gotta, it just takes so much power to get it going. I mean, it, that's first off, our six blade fan weighs right at half of what the four blade steel fan weighs. And even that weight, that's a six blade fan. So mm-hmm. the four blades a lot less, three blades a lot less. Uh, and even that weight is centered in the hub on like a five inch diameter rather than a 19 inch out of the tips. Most of the, most of the weight in a steel blade fan is out at the, the tips. So it's a noticeable difference. Uh, it takes a lot of horsepower just to speed things up. You know, never mind what um, the power you're trying to put to the ground. I mean, it takes, you know, thirty horsepower to to rev a, a steel blade fan up, and it takes fifteen hours. That's fifteen free horsepower. So, mm, nice. Yeah, and that makes a huge difference, yeah. especially in tight races. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For yeah. for sure. And yeah, uh, it's a noticeable difference. All throttle response. Uh-huh. That is what throttle response is. You know, if you get on it and it, it takes forever to get up to rev, something's slowing it down, you know, so. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. And and actually, I didn't even think about the fan being part of that. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, a lot of times we think air and fuel. That's uh, normally where we go to uh, first, or take, ignition. Take and, take and you put one in your hand and see how hard it is to turn it, it you know. <laughs> well, yeah, friction. A few RPM. Never mind 8,000. Right. Well, there's just so many pieces to a car. And what's amazing to me is how each one affects the other ones. And, oh, yeah. and I know I'm not a mechanic, but, um, you know, I, I play one on Facebook. Video. <laughs> yeah. no, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, it's always fascinating that there's always something more to learn about this and, oh, yeah. and go deeper and, and farther. I just, I mean, I find it fascinating. Yeah. I um, learn something new every day. Yeah. Can't wait till more. <laughs> I love that. And you've been in this yeah. for a really long time and oh, yeah. to racing. And and now do you find yourself going to more, you really found this a lot in the dirt track market. Um, and, and I don't know, is your fan being used? Probably not in asphalt because those guys usually use electric fans, right? Uh, mostly, yeah, it's mostly dirt for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of them out there. So, uh. <laughs> I know I've sold a couple or, yeah. or a few, you know. Yeah, you, <laughs> so, yeah, best customers. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, yeah. Hey, I love being, I yeah. love, I love being yeah. that. But yeah, has that led you to more, um, in some potential innovations or seeing, seeing some holes? Because I think that's maybe with something you and I yeah. have in common. I see holes in things, not, not on, the techie stuff. Um, right. For me, I'm like, you know what? We don't have race. We don't have a podcast out there that tells racing stories. So right. um, I want to do that. I would, I would say and this gets back to what we were talking about earlier. It's really hard to get too excited about being innovative. Cause I mean, they're serious that the fans aren't legal. Oh, that's because yeah, every time, you know, every time you come up with something new, it, you know, it's like the sky's falling and they want to ban things. And, so, so it's, yeah, I got to be careful how, you know, investing money, come up with a product and make it and get it out there and, you know, and then somebody take a look at, oh, well, that's going to ruin racing or whatever. <laughs> so they ban it. You know, <laughs> like, oh, man. So, yeah. yeah, it's a little disheartening. They're, they're a little ban happy these days, for sure. Yeah. And, and I think it's right in some circumstances and, and less in others. I think it just really depends on the particular market. I don't know. I mean, they're different. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. One thing I want to do, 
uh, <laughs> when I grow up, is uh, <laughs> I want I want to have my own series. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it Formula Unlimited, and you make anything you, know, you get a 55 gallon drum of methanol, which will keep the the uh, the green people happy, <laughs> and, and uh, it'll be like a 200 mile race and whatever you want. And I'm gonna call it Formula Unlimited or Fu. <gasps> <laughs> that would that be the, that would be the ultimate. epic yeah. epic i'll help promote that yeah oh, yeah but that that's they'll get innovation back in you know and, and, and you know it'll be your choice so you want like a lot of horsepower you want to get good mileage or you know that that'll be the only limit and there'll be some safety well, of course I'd, i would love to do a series like that that i think that'd be fantastic no i think that's amazing yeah. i i'm kind of i'm living your idea now it makes me think of things and and, and and you know it's like formula se like the college you, know, you got kids in college and this is where they're learning about stuff one but they have such tight rules on everything they all end up looking very similar you know it's i just let it go <laughs> well, well i love your idea of saying here's your 55 gallon drum of fuel yeah and it's a million dollars to win Ooh. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, that, wow. I didn't think you were yeah. going all that far, but sure. to try to get 200 miles, knowing that methanol burns twice, yeah. you have yeah. to burn twice the volume of, of gas, although it is significantly less expensive. That's still is, four mile, better than four miles a gallon. Though. Yeah. You got to do really, really good. Yeah. I mean, the innovations that could be there, well, yeah. that's, you know, I, but it is the limitations, limitations draws inflation. Mm-hmm. That's one of those positives. Like, here's the problem. Let's solve it. Right. Do you find now, as an engineer, where, what kind of engineering? Where did, which you get into, or how did you get into engineering? <laughs> I just started you with I started, racing. Started, started racing, and yeah, you just yeah, you look at all this stuff. I love being the dumbest guy in the room, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I've got a pretty good grasp on the basics of things. And when if I need somebody smart to figure something out, then. I know where to find them. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I know a lot of smart people. You know, that's what I say all the time, but you are incredibly smart. So don't, don't count yourself out. You were and and innovative as, as well. I think I have a good imagination and that's, uh, that's more important than knowledge in a lot of ways. So, Oh no, I agree. I think we need to get the FU series going. Yeah, for sure. Great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't think we're that far from getting a few sponsors yeah, and uh, yeah. and people talking about it. It could be really. Well, I think. It, yeah. It'll be. But no, I love your FU series. That is yeah, yeah. awesome. That's amazing. And you know what? I think we could do it. I think it'd be oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Get a couple organizations involved and. A few manufacturers, they'd be yeah. like, hey, we'll we'll provide some parts for FU series. Well, you know, I, mean, I think they've gone too far down the electric vehicle road, you know. Um, I, it's not the nirvana everybody thinks it is because you got to make the power somewhere, <laughs> you know. No, I and, completely uh, agree. But, uh, well, I didn't tell you, but I, um, you know that I, you and I were talking and that you were like, wow, you were interior design before. And I was like, right. yeah, I did interior design and architecture. But it didn't tell you I was an elite accredited professional and I've done I, green design. I, so I, I did see that too. Yeah. And <laughs> like my minor was in appropriate technology, which is like sustainable design. Uh-huh. And, you know, I just see it, things a little bit differently. And it's not, it's like, how can we make things in a mainstream fashion? And the electric car, I think there's a lot of good things about it. But we, we like you said, we still have to make the power. So where that where's that going to come from? And and then I think with this whole army of people out in the world in the architecture and design industries that are always looking for 
all those hidden things and and you're good at that the hidden things that you don't even think about or know about mm. that are uh, you, you don't have to go crazy with stuff we can just maybe put a little bit extra insulation in the walls exactly yeah. so we yeah. can then save the amount of heating and the cooling which means we use less energy and mm-hmm. exactly. we're less of a draw i mean there's a lot of stuff that's just not sexy out there but no. effective Yep. And this army of people that could make that happen. And, and so, I mean, what are our goals? I guess back to racing, you know, I, I guess it's what are our goals for this? Mm-hmm. And, and the goal being that we create this community where everybody wins. Right. And I, that's what I like anyway. I, any situation I do, I try to create like where it's everybody wins. Where here it's the fans and the racers, mm-hmm. the series and the tracks, the manufacturers. Like if everybody wins, we're going to the right place. Right. But, mm-hmm. but anytime you have a loser, I, you know, I think there's just a better way. Yeah. How mm-hmm. how can we make it into a winning situation? But it's got to be real winners. Is if everybody gets a trophy just for showing up, then they're basically oh. all losers. <laughs> no, but I'm saying so, yeah, no banning yeah. manufacturers yeah, for, yeah. you know, rather than maybe hey. Can you be innovative and stay within a, a, a price point or, oh, yeah. you know, and then, hey, this is really cool. You came out with this, but could you do a $50 version instead of a $200 version? When you can just come back and say, you know, no, we really can't, right. you know, right. or if you, okay, if we sell enough of them, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is, right. but a lot of times when you have that, like what we were talking about with the FU series, if you have a 55 gallon drum of methanol, mm-hmm. That's that is your defining thing. Like that's all you got. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's what you that's, got. You got. There's got to be some limitation to to where you make intelligent decisions. I I go about it, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So that that way we're not using, you know, running to the moon and grabbing some moon rock for yeah. you know <laughs> whatever. I mean, yeah. <laughs> something just really crazy. So so tell us, um, where can people find you online? Uh, <laughs> Uh, race-fan.com race-fan.com absolutely and are there any other parting words you'd like to our audience to know thank you for having me and uh, yeah just keep racing well thank you so much for being here I've already worked with you for a few years and look forward to several more ahead and oh, me too. and uh, you know just thank you for the opportunities that you've you've uh, afforded so thanks for being on the show and you know I just wish you luck I can't wait to hear about whatever your next new thing is because I know it's going to be amazing <laughs> oh yeah stay, yeah stay tuned yeah absolutely <laughs> So there you have it. There's my interview with Ken Anderson from Race Fan. That was a lot of fun talking with him. And of course, if you'd like to check out the show notes, you can find them at our website at racinginsiderspodcast.com forward slash 008. And then while you're there on the website, you can also sign up to be on our email newsletter list in order to be notified when we put out a new episode. And of course, all of our other episodes are there as well. I thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you next week on the Racing Insiders Podcast. You've been listening to the Racing Insiders Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Check out the show notes and past episodes at www.racinginsiderspodcast.com. Again, that's www.racinginsiderspodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. 
This episode of the Racing Insiders podcast is an exclusive production solely for the private non-commercial use of our listening audience. Any publication, reproduction, or retransmission without the express written consent or permission of Kate Dillon and Wesley Outland is restricted and prohibited.